Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi, listeners. My name's Theo. I'm one of Bryony's producers. I'm just jumping in here to tell you that there is some fruity language in this episode, so it's not one I'd recommend listening to in front of your children. I hope you enjoy it. I never thought it would take an apocalyptic situation to kind of revert me back to like an 18th century kind of housemaid. The person that I spoke to this week is amazing. And though it took us ages to finally properly connect through the miracles of technology, it was worth it. This week's guest is a BAFTA award-winning actress and writer of the amazing This Country, which recently managed 52 million views on BBC iPlayer. If you haven't watched it, you need to go and watch it now. It's an absolutely hilarious depiction of life in a Cotswolds village based on the character's own experiences growing up. So this week's guest is the amazing Daisy May Cooper, who you might also know as Kerry Bucklow in this country. Hello. Daisy May Cooper. I can hear you. I can hear you clearly. It's like you're on my television, which you are most evenings. I've asked you this question now on eight different occasions. (laughs) So we'll try and make it sound natural. I know that I can just call you Daisy because I've asked you this question, but can you talk us through why why you use Daisy May uh, as opposed to just Daisy Cooper? Well, Daisy Mary Cooper is my actual name, but I decided to sort of stay with Daisy Mary Cooper. I mean, just call me Daisy, but uh, there is actually a porn star on uh, that's that's actually called Daisy, so Daisy Cooper. But there's also a Lib Dem uh, called Daisy Cooper as well. So yeah, so people just get a bit confused. So I thought. Yeah, I'm not a Lib Dem. I'm not a porn star. Just Daisy. Yeah, I'll I'll make the joke again. I've already made this joke to Daisy on the other versions (laughs) I'm trying to record it that they should start up a girl band. I like that I'm I'm making this part of the podcast. The uh the 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 screw ups of 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 my technology. Anyway, Daisy, you know what I'm going to ask you now. I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone at the beginning of each podcast. And that is, how are you really right now in this moment? I'm okay. Hit a brick wall a couple of days ago. And like I said, I feel bad for complaining about it because there's so many things going on in the world at the minute. But 
It's it's dealing with the housework. It's endless fucking vacuuming of wood lice, <laughs> like tons of laundry. My daughter, who's two, just constantly following me around, making me try and play sort of dollies with her. And she currently wants to build a house for a fairy. Okay. And then thinking about evening meals and trying to use up what's in the fridge so I don't have to venture out to the shops. I'm, I sort of lost it, yeah, a couple of days ago. And you're pregnant as well, aren't you? I'm pregnant. So I wonder whether it's sort of like hormone things. I'm trying to think, what was the film I was trying to watch and I just burst into tears? Toy Story 4, I watched the other day with Pip my daughter and I absolutely was just in floods of tears and I just thought this isn't this isn't right <laughs> I think it's fine I I have to say that I went to see Toy Story 3 in the cinema when it came out and it was entirely adults there were no children in the cinema because it was like eight o'clock in the evening or something and uh and and I sobbed at that bit I don't want to spoiler it for anyone but the bit where they're almost about to go into like the rubbish incinerator oh my god me too <laughs> that was so unbelievably moving it is about it's so i i i wouldn't you know don't i don't wouldn't blame your pregnancy hormones but also i do think what you said about that thing of feeling bad about feeling bad is this kind of like a, a theme i'm hearing quite a lot like i shouldn't be whinging about all the endless housework and playing with kids and work and all the other things i'm having to do but I'm going to anyway because it is it is hard. It's weird. And it is like, I mean, I never thought it would take an apocalyptic situation to kind of revert me back to like the 18th, like an 18th century kind of housemaid. <laughs> My husband's gone to this real kind of caveman role where he's just working on like an apocalyptic veg patch out the front. And I just think, <laughs> you fucking bastard. You're tending to these sort of seedling potatoes and I'm struggling with fucking everything in the hat. He could just fuck off and I'm left <laughs> with everything else. I could kill him. I could fucking kill him. I have to say your Instagram is giving me life. Like oh, you and you and you. Buckbeak, as you call your daughter Pip. And I, I just, they are the most wonderful videos. If anyone doesn't follow Daisy, you should be following Daisy. I mean, you should, because they are hilarious. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the kind of, you've been doing tarot readings, haven't you? Oh, God. I've just, yeah, just a sort of pathetic show off, really. Um, I've I've been yeah I did some sort of like kind of crappy script writing thing about how people can sort of start script writing in this time and where to go to, to production companies and things. But this is like the first time I've really got into social media, and, and that, a couple of days ago I suddenly felt really anxious and I felt completely exposed and thought, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Because things like that do kind of freak me out, but I'm getting I'm getting more used to social media. I am enjoying it now. So also, you're talking about your script writing 101s or whatever you might call you know that you're doing on your social media. I think it's really interesting because you your story, you and Charlie, your brother, who play Kerry and Curtin in this country, your story of how this country came to be it being is it is kind of inspirational and brilliant and actually anyone listening right now who fancy a bit of writing and and all of that you you literally wrote this country from your 
a bedroom you shared with Charlie, didn't you? You shared not just a bedroom, but like a bed. Yeah, a broken mattress. It was horrendous. Can you talk me through a bit of the a bit of the uh, the kind of the grind that was getting to this country? Because you went because you went to Rada. It, went to Rada. Yeah, came out, got no auditions, and then had to move back from London to home because we just didn't have the money. Charlie had dropped out of university. And my parents had just been evicted from their house because they just weren't, they weren't paying the rent. I mean, it was just mental. It was a really mental time. My dad was made redundant. My mum wasn't working. They managed to find this, which they still live in, actually, just a a two up, uh, two down sort of house on on an estate. And we, I mean, it's so tiny. And so Charlie and I... We're just sharing a room and working as as night cleaners and sharing a bed because that's how like poor we were. We couldn't afford to get. It, it was so dark. I can't believe we even got ourselves into that situation. You've spoken about the kind of like the the horrible mental toll that you know being in poverty essentially has on people. I was thinking right now about that in terms of I mean because this country as well as being absolutely fucking hilarious is also I think and and, you know I won't be the first person to sort of said this it's kind of like quite biting social satire really on 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 divide you know the Cotswolds which on the one hand you see you know the Beckhams on their Instagram in their fabulous you know Cotswold stone mansions but the reality is is that there's a lot of people living in rural poverty there and I wondered if I know (laughs) Obviously, people have tuned into this podcast for a bit of a laugh because you're Daisy May Cooper. But um, but I, I, I just am really interested in what you have to say about that at the moment, especially when so many we, we are obviously looking down the face of like a huge recession and people are being losing their jobs and being furloughed and and sort of I don't know that's probably a really big question to ask but I I just I would really love to hear your kind of thoughts on getting through those situations where things seem really bleak it's uh, do you know it's 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 such a fucking hard one because when you don't have money you have no choices you have no options. You have no fucking self-respect. You end up alienating yourself because you're constantly asking to borrow money. And that's just from friends and family. Thing, you, you end up humiliating yourself actually in ways that you never thought you would because you're so fucking desperate. And, and when I say we were poor, I mean like we had like 20 quid as a family to live on for a week it was that fucking bad like the amount of fucking dried lentil curries my mum would make was just depressing mm-hmm. but I think you sometimes and I, I think definitely for us when you're when your back is pushed against the wall so much and you 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 have everything taken away from you there's sometimes that that you can get these like amazing moments of inspiration where you're inspired to do something and you're expi- inspired to change your situation. Um, especially when there's no, well, where we live, there's just no help for helping you get jobs or so. Uh, yeah, we, we just threw ourselves into to script writing. And my dad always said to me, you know, do something that you love and get paid for doing it. 
because he worked, you know, doing all sorts of awful jobs when he was always so talented and such a great writer. And he thought that was the safe option, but then ended up getting made redundant anyway. So when you've got everything taken away from you, weirdly enough, it's when you can take the biggest risks because you've got nothing to lose, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. How did you get from that situation of like, writing I mean how did you because you you have been putting up lots of advice to people so what are the things that you did to to get this country out of that bedroom that broken mattress you shared with Charlie onto our screens to being something that has been viewed 52 million times on iPlayer which is like mind-blowing it was uh, I I just I I don't know what it was but something kind of clicked and Charlie and I were so kind of angry that we were even in this situation because we'd thought that after leaving drama school and him leaving university, everything would be great. So we just, we wrote and we wrote because it was the only way, it was just sort of an escapism. And then we had, we didn't even have internet, for fuck's sake. This is how bad it was. We used to have to walk down to our local library to use the internet And we wrote 10 pages of script and we sent it off. We found loads of production companies on Google and we sent it to every single production company that we could find in the UK. And then we got a reply and it kind of, the ball started rolling from there. So one reply out of like hundreds. Oh, hundreds. Yeah, hundreds. Daisy, tell me, what was the timeline of this? So how long ago were you writing it? So this would have been 2010. So this has been going, yeah, 10 years. This is, this, we've been doing this. Because people always talk about sort of overnight successes. And I know, and said overnight successes are like, I have been slogging at this for fucking ages. Fuck, yeah. But I mean, that's the thing is you've got to, you, you, you just have to fucking keep going. If you think that you have something, I mean, I, I always believe that talent does always out, but you have to, keep going at it. I mean, there's so many people that I've met and that I've known who have been, you know, should should be performers and, and should be up there, you know, stand-ups who should be earning the same amount as, as Peter Kay, but what didn't get them through was they just didn't have the determination and they couldn't face the failure. You could. You were like, I'll, I'll, we'll face it and we'll face it down and we'll get through it. Well, we had it. nothing, nothing left. I mean, we had nothing to lose. That's the thing. We'd, we'd face so much failure that it was just another fucking, you know, slap in the face if, if somebody rejected us. So we, ha- we had nothing to lose. And I think had I got jobs after Rada, then the show would never have been created. So there is that. I always, I do believe in fate and I do believe in... I think it gave me the kick up the arse to, to do the writing. And thank God it got made because it is like, it's really funny, but it's also, it's really empathetic you know like you 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 really root for Kerry and Curtin do you know what I mean it's not like there's that sense of laughing with them as opposed to at them do you know what I mean which I think sometimes you can get in some comedies what do you think you know what what do you think has enamored so many people to it apart from the fact that you're fucking brilliant (laughs) well I don't I'm not quite sure I think what we did is we just tried to write from a place of truth. So we tried to, I mean, pretty much everything that's in there is something that's happened to us or happened to somebody that we've known. And these people 
like Carrie and Curtin are really an extension of Charlie and I, and also kind of based on people that we know. And I think if you do base stuff on truth and you are specific with it, it it's weird. It kind of reaches out to a broader audience because we were with um, a production company before we got with the BBC who tried to make the show broader. So it, it, it sort of, it ticked more people's boxes and it was crap. I think the more specific you are, the funnier it makes it in a weird yeah, way. Yeah. So you, so you were starting to make it with one production company, and then you've already, and then you, you went to another, and then now it's being, isn't it being like adapted for America? Yeah, I know. Mental. What? Who's who's doing yeah, it? Paul Feig, who uh, did Bridesmaids. Oh. I know, amazing. And Jenny Bix, who wrote Sex and the City and The Greatest Showman. No biggie. No biggie. <laughs> fucking yeah it, it's completely mind-blowing and when we first met them it was really weird they actually came to the Cotswolds to meet us and we took them into our local pub where it was like two for one meals and it's just like fuck this this is surreal we used to sit in here and and share a lime and soda because that's all we could afford and it was a place to be able to kind of escape to and write because you know it was just impossible in the house and now we're sitting here with fucking these two amazing people in our local pub. That that was really surreal. And I think it really hit us then quite, quite how far we'd come. Well, you have. And I, and I, I what has that, what is that like? Because obviously you've won BAFTAs. I loved that you went in a kind of Swindon FC dress. I mean, it has been absolutely incredible. The only thing which would be great is like a life-changing amount of money that I actually feel like my life has changed. Because at the moment, it's like, yeah, yeah, this is great. But I don't have a fucking big house or a pool. I still live on a on a, just a row of houses and with a small garden. Do you have a paddling pool? I have a paddling pool, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, that's... that. that that's uh that you know that's living the dream right now frankly <laughs> i wanted to talk to you a bit about your dad because he obviously plays Kerry's dad in this country and that's one of the most i find moving storylines sort of heartbreaking but your dad's in real life and i i, I may have got this wrong i don't know if i maybe i've dreamt it but isn't it doesn't, doesn't he help hoarders yeah so people that are struggling with yeah, can you tell me a bit about that? Do you know what? My dad is is an amazing man, but he doesn't. I don't think he's he he's never felt worthy unless he's kind of helping people. So he works for this hoarding charity, where the I mean the stories are just horrendous. Where you go in to a, a hoarder's home and you have to literally go through piece by piece. I mean, a crisp packet tin lid to help sort it out but you have to do it as slowly as that so he's been doing that for the, for the last two years but it's such a it's a disease that hasn't really kind of been recognized but I mean some of the cases are just like there was a guy that was sleeping outside his house living rough and had been for the last 12 months because he couldn't get into his front door what is the um because it's, it's really fascinating and like and and it's a it's a mental illness isn't it you said he's like only feels good when he's helping people kind of thing and did you always grow up with that sort of mentality i tell you what he's always he's a fucking martyr well like christmas day he didn't tell us 
until the morning that he was going down to our local sort of homeless shelter to feed the homeless, which was all well and good, except there were 40 volunteers and about three homeless people. (laughs) (laughs) He came back and he was actually furious that there weren't more homeless. (laughs) See, he's like that. He, he has to have fucking acknowledgement for being this kind of Jesus Christ figure. And he's always been like that. When, uh, But in a really David Brent narcissistic way. <laughs> he used to do a lot of stuff with the Sirencester Town Football Club, like the juniors side. And they needed to raise money because the club was getting shut. So he decided in complete fucking narcissistic midlife crisis way to raise money by recording his own single right (laughs) and i do you know what if i can find it he still has it on tape but he it is possibly one of the worst songs and i just remember seeing it as soon as it came out and he sold a few copies in every single charity shop in town i think the single costed more than what he made. Can you find it and put it on your Instagram, please? It was so bad. It was so bad. I love, I just, I kind of want to be adopted by your family. Like, they oh, just... Oh, you really don't. <laughs> my mum's a mad... My, do you know what, weirdly enough, so my mum's a hoarder, right? But my dad, okay. and they live together, but my dad can't help my mum because... It, because it's sort of too close to home. So she kind of just hoards board, like old board games and ch- children's toys. It's, it's such a weird setup and lots of budgies. Budgies? Wow. <laughs> well, even when you were kids, was it like that? Sort of got worse. It's, it's interesting about hoard, hoarding, right? Is they say you can usually tell when the big trauma happened in a hoarder's life by the first newspapers that are on the floor, like will always date um, when somebody died or there was like a big traumatic event in this person's life because it starts with newspapers. It's really weird. And what was, well, you, I don't want to ask you a question that you don't want to answer, but is your mother, so does your mother... She lost um, her sister in a car accident when her sister was about 30. And I think that it kind of started from there. It's like a, it's a control. It's trying to hold on to something. And I suppose yeah. because it was a lot of children's toys and things like that, it was trying to hold on to their childhood together. And it, it's so interesting when you kind of start unpicking it all. It's absolutely fascinating. And it's it's actually, it's a condition I'd love to explore more on this podcast because it's one of those mental, well, so many mental health issues are kind of like have stigma attached to them and shame attached to them, but it's one of the more kind kind of hidden ones isn't it but it's so weird right because i mean i always said to dad well why don't you just clean everything out and then they'll see how clean the the place is and be and dad said that's one of the worst things that you could do a lot of uh, the clients that that do hoard that have had that happen where people have just come in and taken everything they actually die of shock which is just 
insane. Wow. Which What's the hoarding charity that he works for? Because we should put a link to it in the show notes. I, I don't fucking I'll, know. <laughs> I'll look up some hoarding charities and put it in the um, show notes. I want to ask you a couple more questions before I finally release you back to back to your day cleaning up wood lice. I have that problem too in my house, by the way. Uh, they why? come in. Where are they all coming from? I don't well, quite understand. They stop in the winter. I don't know why that is. And they come in in the summer. I think it's um, it's something to do with like the sealant on your door. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I googled it. But oh, I don't know. If anyone listening knows why wood lice invade houses, if they could let us know urgently. <laughs> my daughter my daughter last year started te- keeping them as pets. Oh god. And when I say keeping them as pets, killing them by putting them in a little like Tupperware and putting like leaves in and then they would she go, "Oh, I think I think Grumpy the uh, Grumpy the woodlouse is um not with us anymore, <laughs> mummy." We could probably talk for another two hours about wood lice. Wood lice. <laughs> I, I want to ask you a question and you may not answer it and that's okay. But if I don't ask it, I won't be doing listeners of this podcast the service that I'm supposed to. Who the fuck is Curtin's Nan? <sighs> Cannot tell you, I'm afraid. I really can't. I've sworn to secrecy. I'm sworn. But I think it's pretty obvious. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Is it Australia? Yeah. Have you got a guess? Um, is it someone Australian? I can't answer that. I tell you what. I'll tell you off. I'll tell you off, Mike. Ah! I'll tell you off, Mike. Okay, okay, and I won't. I won't tell anyone on Mike. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Daisy, um, this country you have now finished. Can we talk a bit about? Um, your friend Michael, who was such a big part of the series and passed away, I I I, I feel bad kind of bringing bringing it up. You know what? It's so good because it it just sort of keeps him alive in a way. Talking about him, so he so t- tell me because he he passed away just before series three started filming. Is that right? He did, yeah. So he he was actually a friend of ours that we'd known from like primary school who was so weird and so bizarre and so funny. We kind of, we wrote this part, I mean, based on him and then thought, do you know what? There's nobody else that could do it as well as him. So we cast him and he was just, he was like, what I, I get, I, I, it's so frustrating because I, I just wish that people had seen how funny he was off screen like he was one of the most observant witty people I've ever met and he yeah he got really I mean he'd always suffered from health problems and he got really ill before the third series but was so desperate to be a part of it that we were like look just we'll see how you feel if if you get if you're starting to feel better of, of course we'll write you in last minute and uh I remember when he t- when he actually broke the news to me that he was it was terminal and that he was going to die, and he it was weird at first he was really frightened, and then a week before he died he phoned me and he said, "I've just had the most bizarre thing that's happened to me." He said an angel came at the bottom of my bed and told me 
And he said that I wasn't asleep and I promised I wasn't sleeping, told me that in seven days at 12 o'clock at midnight, I would have a new body. And he said, so that either means I'm going to get better and my body's going to heal itself or I'm going to die. And that's fine because I, I kind of feel okay with it. And he ended up dying in seven days at 11.59pm, which I just find absolutely fascinating. But, um, yeah, he was... I mean, uh, even his fucking deathbed requests were just so uh, funny and annoying. (laughs) What was he requested? He requested... He wanted his actual coffin to be in the third series with his dead body, which I remember saying to his sister, I I think that might be a little bit unethical. (laughs) He wanted the... Paul Tahidi plays the vicar. He wanted him to do the service at his funeral. Oh, my God, it was... But his funeral was so fucking funny and so brilliant and so moving and... But, yeah, I've... He's definitely still around. I could just imagine him sort of haunting people for a laugh. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Is it? Is it... So you... Did you feel that once he went, that, that was it, like the third season is the last? Yeah, because he was such like a crucial part of the show and um, it, it felt right. And, and we'd been working on it for like 10 years and... And having him go, I was like, I don't want to fucking do any more series. The last series, I, I found really hard to film. I, it, it it felt like it was such a massive part of it missing when he went that it just, it, it I wouldn't want to have carried on. And I don't think Charlie, I, it hit, weirdly enough, it actually hit Charlie harder than it hit me. He, I'm sort of, I, I break down at small things like wood lice, but the big things I can sort of cope with. with, whereas he's completely the opposite, whereas he can cope with the small things, but the big things, he's not great. And we, we had like, we had no time to fucking grieve. Like it was, and then we had to write about his death in the show. It was, it was one of the hardest things. So I, it's just, it, I've, I've, it's nice actually as awful as the coronavirus is, and I know that it's fucking awful, but for me, having that time to spend with my daughter and just reflect on everything that's happened in the last year has been nice. Mm. That's I, and do you, and how do you think you're doing that grieving now? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until we were promoting the third series that it fucking hit me that he'd gone because then that felt like the last goodbye because we were it felt like we were still trying to keep him alive, you know, talking about him. And then after this had been shown, then that's it. And he really has gone. Mm. But, yeah, it's it's it was so fucking weird. And then I had my wedding in September and he was meant to be one of my bridesmaids in it. And not having <laughs> him there was just, oh, it was just such a strange time. So it's nice now just to have this downtime, just to mm. kind of balance myself again and yeah reflect and drink pretend cups of train oil (laughs) yeah my daughter's giving me fucking hell i tell you what lockdown would be absolutely perfect if the nurseries are still open yes yeah yes (laughs) 
<laughs> turns out that um, I always I remember thinking if I ever like had to you know stop and have a few weeks off, I'd read lots of books, I do this, I do that. I'm like, no. It turns out I do absolutely fuck all, but run around <laughs> after a small child. Yeah, doing laundry and killing woodlice, not killing woodlice, shuttling them into the right out of the front door, back into the front garden. Lazy. <laughs> I would just want to quickly ask you, when this is all over, A, can we um, meet up and eat cake? Oh, my God, um, absolutely. And secondly, what what's next for you? Well, obviously, you've got a baby coming in. When When's the baby due? September. Okay. And then work-wise, wh- where will we see you next? Well, we did one day of filming on this new thing that I'm doing with Tim Key called Witchfinder. I'm a witch and he's a witch finder. We did one day and then we had to stop filming for the coronavirus. So I'm going back to that. Just writing, like Charlie and I are coming up with our new thing. But obviously it's so difficult to sit down and write because it's just been mental and the coronavirus. But we're desperate, yeah, to get into something new, something completely, create a different world. I'm so excited. <laughs> Daisy, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Such a pleasure. I'm such a massive fan of yours. I think your writer is better than bloody Dickens. So. Shut up! It is! Did the producer get that on the... <laughs> <laughs> we we'll stop recording now, yeah? Oh, no, but also tell me, who was Curtin's Nan off the record? Before you go, I just wanted to tell you about something we're doing here at The Telegraph. We've launched You Are Not Alone, a collection of inspiring stories showcasing community spirit and helping you to stay connected to others. One of my favourite parts of it is our resident psychologist, Linda Blair, sharing her daily dose of calm, tips that will help you slow things down in this fast-moving situation. Social connectivity is more important now than ever, so click on the link in the show notes for more details and go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld to get your first 30 days access to the website completely free. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. They're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Then there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. If you prefer text support, Shout is a 24 7 UK crisis text service available for times when people feel they need immediate support. By texting Shout to 85258, a texter will be put in touch with a trained crisis volunteer who will chat to them using trained techniques via text. And remember this. You are not alone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.